we're talking hockey. Roldy and Rupp are talking hockey. Moose is on deck talking hockey. Texas hockey tonight. Hello and welcome to That's Hockey Talk. I am your host at Nick Baraldo. It's a beautiful night for talking hockey on the internet. Uh, that sensational sound. The beautiful voice you just heard is our pal, the pals, our north of the border friend at Bubba Gumpino. Gums, how you doing? All is well, my friend. All is well. Joining us, as always, our resident Game 7 goal-scoring hero, Stanley Klepp. Winner himself, Mike Rupp. Rupper, how you doing, brother? I'm good, boys. I'm good. Uh, last episode before, before uh, the Christmas break, right? So uh we're making it a good one here yeah big holidays coming up hope everyone is uh staying warm because we've got a bomb cyclone coming through the midwest apparently uh coming down from canada where our guest is from let's waste no time i want to give this man a uh, proper introduction it's gonna take a deep breath to read through his, all his accolades here but he's deserving <laughs> of every single one of them uh a living legend he played 25 seasons in the nhl it's spanned over four decades um one of the greatest hockey players of all time Okay, he's a 15-time league all-star, two-time league MVP, taking home the Hart Trophy. He's a six-time Stanley Cup champion. He's second all-time in playoff points scored. Uh, regular season games, he's way up there, I believe, third all-time. Uh, regular season points, he's third all-time. He's Hall of Famer. And most importantly, I think, the only player to captain two teams to a Stanley Cup, ladies and gentlemen, the legend himself, Mark Messier. Mr. Messier, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate that introduction. Uh, before we get started, can we all have a toast of a nice little uh, shot of tequila? Thank you. Nice. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Cheers. Well, we got there, Mess. What do you got going? Well, I got a lot of different kinds of going, but uh, El Bandito <laughs> is my new favorite since I'm working with, uh, with Chelly. <laughs> and uh, he's part of the El Bandito line. I'm I'm all El Bandito now. Oh, nice! All right, you mentioned working with Chelly. I mean, you two guys probably got stories for days. Uh, you know, it's um, how is it? Like, do you guys how how is it when you guys are working together at ESPN? I mean, I saw you guys. Uh, we had a beer uh, together during the finals last year. I mean, a beer. Does it start reminiscing getting back in the days? Like, does that ever get old? Never gets old. N never gets old, actually. And uh, it's a, it's incredible. I, I knew a lot about Chelly. I never played with Chelly, and I didn't play against Chelly that much. But he was a uh, he was really a, a a guy that I had learned a lot about through Brian Leach and playing with Brian in New York. And he just raved about Chelly and what a great guy he was, and what a great player, and what a great teammate, all the things, and uh, and what a what a great pro. And it, it, the stories went on and on and on. So finally, him and I could get. After all these, all this talk, we finally got together at the All Star Game in Chicago, and of course, uh, him and I were the last two to leave uh, on most nights at the All Star Game in Chicago. <laughs> so all, all the stories uh, that that everybody was telling me about Chelly were, were true, and we got along unbelievable back then. And of course, how lucky can you go get to to take a job with ESPN and then have Chelly as your sidekick? And to your point. You know, we, we, we grew up in the same area. We see things exactly the same. We see the game the same way. Uh, um, so it's it's been just unbelievable to uh, to work with them. Just two absolute warriors. And and I love what you guys are bringing on this side of it too, right? Like um, just the fans. And, and I love where, where hockey coverage is going and having you guys on there, having, having Wayne on the TNT side. Talk's been unbelievable. These guys had – 
talk on uh, the Pat McAfee show today. He was awesome. Um, so just, I, I love it. I love seeing it. And, and you mentioned right there, uh, Brian Leach, and, and we'll, this is probably the only question I'll have in regards to like today's game. Cause I want to hear some of the stuff from when you played, uh, that's where the, the juice is for me. But uh, you mentioned, you mentioned Leachy, um, this past year, Kale McCarr, what he did, he's our modern day Bobby Orr. He's our modern day Bobby Orr. But when we're talking about those things and we're talking about the numbers that Kale was putting up last year. Brian Leach's name came up because Kale McCarr would be the first defenseman since Brian Leach to surpass 100 points. I just don't think, quite frankly, I don't think I know. Uh, I knew Leachy was great. I think the average fan out there doesn't know how incredible Brian Leach was. Can you touch on that? Yeah, I sure can. And you know what's funny? Just this morning, at, uh, while having my morning protein shake, I turned on the 1959-1960 Boston Bruins against the Montreal Canadiens final, and uh, uh, I think it was game one. And I, I did it for a couple of reasons. One, because I, I, I'm always interested in in, in hockey and, and, and past history and all that. But I just wanted to see Bobby Orr, and it was really kind of before he really became Bobby Orr, but he was still unbelievably dynamic on the ice. His skating was far superior to everybody else. Um, and, you know, I got the chance to play with, you know, Paul Coffey, who broke Bobby's record, uh, you know, a dynamic player in itself. And then, of course, I come to New York and then, you know, can you win a Stanley Cup without a guy like Paul Coffey, Brian Leach or Kale McCarr? You know, it's very hard, right? I mean, I know it's been done, but I'm saying when you have a guy like that that can cover so much ground, you know, chew the minutes they do. I mean, I remember Leachy, 5'11", 180 pounds, 185 pounds, playing 32 minutes in in deep into the playoffs. I mean, just an in, animal. In a, time, in a time mess, sorry to cut you, where that, a guy of that stature wasn't thriving necessarily, right? Like, that's the incredible part of it. Well, he was tough as nails, never, never flinched to go get a, a, a go get a puck out of his own zone in a deep corner in Boston or in some of the smaller rinks, uh, ne never never once flinched. But uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think McCarr, you know, when you watch these guys, uh, the, you know, the range that they have on the ice, the uh, athleticism, um, you know, the skating, uh, the anticipation, the strength, uh, you know, McCars, you know, everybody tried to say, well, dump in his corner and, <laughs> and take, the, take the body. First of all, they can't catch him. When they do catch him there, he's so strong in his skates, they can't hit him. So he, he's almost indefensible or undefensible uh, or indefensible, whatever the w w right word is. But, uh, yeah, incredible uh, talent. But uh, for me, you know, Brian Leach, uh, Paul Coffey, uh, same same kind of cut from the same cloth that could provide you that incredible amount of support from the back end. And as you know, it's all about numbers in, in, when you, in, in the offense. If you don't have, if you can't unnumber, outnumber the opposition in certain areas on the ice, it's hard to break people down one-on-one -on -one at that level there. So what you do is you add on an extra layer or an extra couple layers. And sure enough, you know, that's what they can provide. All those players can, can provide dating back all the way to Bobby York. So you, you mentioned there in, in playing in New York, so you, you, you won six cups. You got the five in Edmonton, the one in New York, uh, that New York one obviously being being in 94. Um, I, I sit there and I, I – so the first time I, I met you, I was I had a cup of tea for two years there with the Rangers, and I got to meet you. It was like a boyhood, a dream of mine. I was a big Oilers fan. So I growing up where I grew up, I, hockey wasn't that accessible, and you guys – you guys were the shit at the time, right? So that was anything that I got hockey content-wise was the Edmonton Oilers, right? So I was big, big mess fan, Wayne. I was a big Wayne guy growing up. So anyways, um, 
so when I'm playing in New York, we made it in 2012 Eastern Conference Finals. And I remember thinking to myself, my entire career, I was like, if I ever had the opportunity, I, 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 I guess if I had one regret, it was, it was, I wish I would have played in the Canadian market. That's first and foremost. I wanted to experience that where everyone eats, sleeps, and breathes it. I'm sure it's stressful at many times. Maybe all the time it doesn't feel great, but I wanted to experience that. The other thing, in 2012, when we got that close to the finals, I was like, I don't think there's a better place in North America. Let's, let's keep it United States to win a cup than New York. You did both, man. You played the Canadian market. You won a cup, cups in Edmonton. Then you win in New York. How, what was the difference between the two? I mean, obviously, it's a goal. It's it's the biggest thing. Was it a different feel uh, from one to the other? Well, you know, how, how many how many uh, players that have ever played the, the in, in the National Hockey League can say they played in their hometown? They played where they grew up. Uh, they not only played in their hometown where they grew up, but they played on maybe one of the best teams ever in the National Hockey League, uh, arguably the best team, you know, voted 1985 team, uh, top 100 team of the century. Um, and then to play alongside with the greatest player to ever play the game. I mean, it's, you can't make this stuff up. And here I was just, a, you know, never played to technically junior hockey, turned pro at 17. You know, I had to cut my teeth at the professional level. It took me years to kind of, you know, get comfortable and 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 my skill level to to, to catch up. But um, you know, playing in Edmonton, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't. Looking back on it now, I I think we all knew that we had the opportunity to do something special because of Wayne, and we knew Wayne was on a rocket ship to to history. We knew that we saw him in the WHA, we saw him in his first couple of years in the league, and we knew that eventually Wayne was going to win a Stanley Cup. I've said this a hundred times. And, and if we played our cards right and 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 we're smart enough, we we'd figure out a way to support them. And sure enough, we could be a, we could go along for that ride. <laughs> what we did, little did we know, they were going to have seven or eight Hall of Famers that were in the support role uh, through that tenure that would or would turn out to be Hall of Famers because not everybody was high draft picks, and a lot of guys came from obscurity. You know, Glenn Anderson, fourth round, myself, third round, Yerry Curry. You know, uh, Grant was a was a was a higher draft pick. Paul Coffey, Kevin Lowe, higher draft picks, but I, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, five Stanley cups. What, what can you say? So, you know, when that ran, when that run kind of, you know, took a turn and it was time to leave both professionally, personally, emotionally, physically, it, just, it was just time to go. Right. So, so Glenn asked me, where, where would you like to go? And I said, well, I, I would really like to go experience living and playing in New York city. And I remember at the press conference in Montreal saying to myself, I just hope, I think I actually said, it, I hope my second career is just as successful as my first career. So I, I kind of looked at it. It was a, a complete departure from Edmonton and the 12 years that I spent there. And this is a whole new beginning, you know, um, and, you know, lucky enough, we're, we're able to, you know, win a Stanley cup in New York city after 54 years living in the city, understanding that, you know, and learning about the, the history, the culture, the four generations of hockey fans that were going to the games that never seen a Stanley cup. And to be a part of that rupper, as you know, playing here, it is, it is very intense. And that's the other thing there too. When you talk about playing in a Canadian city, like for me, I wanted that, that, that juice. I wanted that, uh, that, that, that amount of pressure, because nobody could put more pressure on my on me than myself in order right. to perform and do well. If I, if I if I didn't play well, if I didn't do the right thing, I mean, I never, I, I couldn't let it go until the next game. So, 
that didn't bother me, but I wanted to go out. I wanted to be recognized. I wanted to, you know, and I think that's one of the things when we talk about Edmonton, you know, I could sit off a face off on any particular night and, and recognize 85% of the crowd as friends or people that I've met or incredible. You know, it, it's that is, is that insular. And then coming to New York, you think it's going to be a great big city and it's not going to have the same feel, but it did. It was like this very, you know, intense fan base that was really insulated and really kind of pressurized. And, and, uh, you know, as you know, you know, the first year I'm here, we, we win the president's trophy. We, 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 we lose it in the playoffs and, oh, it's, it's, you know, we had a great year and no, 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 no problem. Next year we have a, you know, Leachy gets hurt. We have injuries. We miss the playoffs. So we go from high as high to a lower than a snake's belly until the third year of climbing ourselves all the way back and winning the Stanley Cup. So I got to see the best and the worst and the best of New York as an athlete. But I think I think that year that we missed the playoffs and, and all that, you know, enclave of of, uh, of pressure and, and all the newspapers and media and all that come crashing down, I think that's what made it so special. And I think ultimately in the end, uh, God, I wouldn't I wouldn't have traded. I, I, if I could have came here and won the first year, I wouldn't have traded it for going through that experience. Well, did uh, did Edmonton have a Studio Fifty Four? You guys bounced to on occasion too, or, or oh what? yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. We 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 made our own Studio Fifty Fours. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. We had we had it all going in Edmonton back then. Yeah, it was it was great. We uh, we were never shortchanged on the uh, on on the uh, celebratory side of uh, of playing hockey and uh, and as you know, they, you know it's 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 all about the small wins too, right? Like I mean, you got, obviously everybody's got the big goals of, of winning the Stanley Cup, but that's a long way to get there through the regular season, of course, the playoffs. And if you're not enjoying yourself along the way when things are going good, man, that becomes a long year. So we realized really early on there, let, let's. You know, let's find a way to have some fun on the long bus ride to go to practice on the road. And, you know what I mean? You know, getting dressed in a in a ballroom in New York City and getting on a bus and going over to New Jersey to only to practice for 40 minutes. Right. Like, does that sound like fun? But you know what? We made it fun somehow. And that's, you know, those are the memories that you really uh, or, or the, the journey that you really remember when you retire. That's amazing to hear. Uh, Mark, I wanted to ask you a question. It's a little bit off the wall, I think, but uh, I, I think you're gonna, you'll are gonna have a good answer for it. So I was looking up uh, some some old pictures of you. When you first came into the league, I, I believe you were using a Sherwood, and everyone was using the wooden sticks back in the day. And then, uh, like, the 90s come around, and then the switch to, like, the composite graphite sticks and everything like that. And I'm asking this because the very first hockey stick I ever got as a young kid, I think I was seven years old. I was gifted a uh, Mark Messier aluminum shaft Louisville stick. Oh wow, and, yeah! And I love that thing. It was just a little street hockey stick, but I love that thing. So I was always curious, like from the guys who went from like you were you were an elite player in your day using this wooden stick, and then everybody comes along all of a sudden, and you got these composite, the one pieces, the two piece, the shaft, the blade. I, I always wonder what that was like that transition, if like. Did you resist that at first? Did you dive all in? What what was going on there? You know, that's a, that's a, that's really interesting to ask that question because you know if you, when you play twenty five years over four decades, uh, you know the game does change. Uh, everything changes. Uh, the technology changes. The uh, the science changes. The training changes. The equipment changes. The skates. The blades. The te- everything changes. And if you're not willing to ch- to change along with it and and realize that things are better and they can help you. I would have been left in the dust a long time ago. 
And so I was always one of those guys that I was always interested in, in, in the equipment. Uh, I, I remember Paul Coffey and I and Glenn Anderson, we were the first guys to start s- stitching the old leather skates because I quickly realized that the guy, the players were becoming stronger and more powerful than the skates could actually withstand the, the, the thrust of the stride. And when you stitch the skate, you could get a stronger uh, push, which would obviously make you go skate faster. And they would and they would last. And so we were kind of uh, you know tweaking with that. And of course, the evolution of of, of to your point, you know the the graphite shafts, the aluminum shaft, and then the uh, the wood blade insert. Of course, of course, all the way up to the composite stick. That's you know that's you know you can put in a mold and every stick comes exactly the same. We used to be able to take two sticks out of a, a 12 wooden sticks and they might feel good. It was like the, the, the baseball player, you know, <laughs> swinging the bat or, or Tiger Woods under, you know, that ball doesn't quite feel right or whatever, you know, it gets to that kind of level of, of feel when you really, when you really start to tune in. But that's in the end, that's where it really separates, uh, you know, the players that are really kind of, interested in, in you know in, in in the craft itself and how can i improve myself how can i get better what can help me get better and uh, i was i was always uh, it, even from the training standpoint I, I in some ways i i consider myself a guy that was ahead of the training curve back when i was 15 16 17 so um all of that was only to to hopefully make me a better player Go. yeah it certainly and speaking worked. of picture it's one sec <laughs> Yes. Nice chair rotation. Perfect. So here's a uh, picture of uh, me. Uh, <laughs> can you see that? I don't know if it's a good picture. Yeah. Look at that flow. <laughs> yeah, you see the white suit? And the, and yeah. the, there's a rose in there somewhere. <laughs> and here's, oh. a, here's a picture. Here's a picture of me. Uh, the, the, no, this is the uh, this is the beauty modeling picture. Yes, that's Oh, this and looks the, like the and then the, uh, this is with the uh, Swede Knox, uh, the the, uh, the 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 B side. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> little taste of both. Little taste of both. <laughs> yeah, Moose, twenty-three goddamn hat tricks in the NHL and the WHA. Is there one or two that stand out above the rest, brother? Did I have one in the WHA? Says twenty three in the NHL WHA had to be one in there. <laughs> no, you know, I, you know, my 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 foray into the uh, WHA. You you guys know this, right? I scored one goal. Yeah. And 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 did do you guys know how I scored it? No, I don't know this. Well, we got hemmed into our zone for about a minute and a half, and uh, finally got some relief, and I found the puck in the in the just inside the blue line, and I skated it. Uh, just to the red line and dumped it into the zone and then went and quickly changed. And all of a sudden the, the crowd started the roar and whatever happened, it took a crazy bounce <laughs> and went in the net. So I didn't even get the plus minus for the goal that I scored. My first, <laughs> my first goal in the WHA, I didn't even get the plus for it. So yeah, I, I didn't have any in the, in the, uh, in the WHA. I scored one goal and 11 assists in uh, 30, 30 some games. And, uh, and uh, went back, uh, went back home after that year. But uh, twenty-three uh, hat tricks—that's that's, that's in- insane for me. Yeah, and the, um, N- the NHL—that's not bad, Moose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I don't even look at myself as a goal scorer, to be honest with you. I never did look at myself as a point getter and a goal scorer. I, I you know, I, I was always trying to figure out what, what I had to do each and every game in order to just win the game. 
So I was never concentrating on scoring a goal. I was never concentrating on assisting on a goal. I was always concentrated on sitting on the bench and watching the, the game develop and then figure out what I needed to do in order to turn the tide or the momentum or whatever it was. And even in Edmonton in those years when we did have the game solidly in hand, it, I, I wasn't even even that interested in getting on the ice late to try to, you know, stuff the, uh, the, the statistics. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it, it was, a, it was different for me and, and how I grew up looking at the game and how I could, how I felt I, re- I could really help a team, I guess. Well, there's a lesson in there for a lot of young kids who are hopefully watching at home. Uh, it's not always about the points. It's about doing what you can to win the game. I did want to ask, though, you had a 99-point uh, a season at 35 years old. Uh, how Were you like a uh, a fitness freak off the ice? We see some guys like I know Rod Brindamore was always real cut up, and he played well into uh, his late 30s and, and 40s. And I oh, no. Oh, oh no! Uh-oh. Oh no! There, oh, what happened? Man down! <laughs> there you go. Power through, man. Power through. You just froze up on us. There, oh, so. did I? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully, I spit that all out. Basically, I was just curious yeah. if you if you took care of your body, or if it was a conscious thing, or if you were just lucky enough to be able to survive that long. You know what? I was really, uh, I was really lucky. My dad was a uh, was a freak, uh, incredibly strong, fit guy. Never really worked a lot of on weights because they didn't really have that back then. But he worked hard in the in the in the oil rigs. He worked hard in cement jobs, and uh, he was yeah. built like they used to call him McGilla Gorilla because he had. He was just, uh, you know, amazing uh, build on him. And so I think I got a really a lot of, uh, of uh, natural uh, ability and DNA f- from my parents. But I was really interested in, in, in fitness uh, from a very early age. Um, you know, I, when I was playing junior hockey, my, as a 15-year-old, my, our coach came back and he had befriended one of the uh, – John Cole, who was one of the strongest men in the world, uh, guys and he brought back this incredible heavy weighted weight program that we followed and did four times a week and you know and then and then conditioning and running and biking and hill running and all that kind of stuff and so I was always uh you know in great I, I, I never I never was to the point where someone was going to be in better shape than me and I was going to lose or uh, individual battle because I wasn't in good enough shape. It's like going into a wrestling match and know, and you know that you didn't put the training in and you know that when you get tired, you're going to get your head smashed through the mat. Right. Like, yeah. you know, I, I never wanted that feeling. So I, <laughs> I, so I, I was okay in that department, but when you the season that you're talking about, as when I was 35, I was playing with Adam Gray's and Pat Verbeek and we had, we had a great run. I think, Verbeek would have scored 50, um, but he got hurt the last kind of month of the season. And Gravy was right around 50, and I think I was 44. And, and we Jeez. we had an amazing line that year. And, you know, at, at 35, at 35 I, I still felt like I could chew nails, right? Like I was not at all thinking that I was going to take a step back at all. I didn't feel anything different. I, I felt actually that I was – maybe playing some of the best hockey of my life at that point from an experience standpoint, from a technical standpoint, a conditioning standpoint, all that. And, and uh, yeah, it was, it was, that was, that was a fun year uh, thinking back. Yeah. There, there was some shit being stirred with that line. I'm pretty sure that you got, that's a, that's a gritty, gritty ass line. That, I'll tell you what, you know, 
Oh yeah, you know gravy beaker. Oh yeah, we 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 could we could go into any rink and play against. We could shut down the line. We could yeah. we could uh, we 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 could play it any way you wanted. There, it was, it was an amazing year. I love playing Pat Verbeek. He was he was an amazing hockey player. He came to play every game. He never took a night off. He was tough as nails, skilled beyond. I think I don't think he gets enough credit for being as skilled as he was. And uh, like I said, that year he would have scored 50 goals if he wouldn't have got hurt the last uh, two or three weeks. You mentioned uh, you mentioned uh, McGilla Gorilla a little bit earlier, and it's funny you mentioned that because it was mentioned to me today by our boy Kenny Danico. Uh, Dano said Dan, Dano said that uh, that you and, and Kevin Lowe used to send uh, you'd send a stickman drawing over, uh, I guess, from one locker room to the other early on in his career, and used to call him. Uh, McGillow Gorilla as well, right? Like, what was that like? And in your relationship with Dano, like you guys have been boys. Dano was telling me you were like a mentor to him, and and how did that change? And did it change? Because he said they stopped sending me stick figures when when Mess went to the Rangers. Because now now there was the heated rivalry. Right? <laughs> it was all buddy buddy when I was playing for the Oilers, and we played them once a year, so it was no 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 problem. But when I went to the Oilers, I don't think I talked to him for twelve years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course, you know, Dan was such a great guy, and uh, but he was a uh, we we would run hockey schools and. In Edmonton, and he was a 14-year-old, I think, or 14 or 15 when we first uh, saw him, and a sturdy, rugged defenseman. Uh, you know, uh, ended up dating my sister uh, for a couple years, and then, of course, getting uh, going out to I think a Seattle and played junior, and then uh, getting drafted, and then uh, uh, what what a what a what a warrior! Talking about warriors, rupper, you you know better than anybody, right? Like, I mean, he you know, Beauty. not not he's super powerful, strong guy, but not a I minute. Mean, he was playing an era where he was fighting the Dave Browns of the league, and and then and then and then was part of that core four that was an unbelievable defense in New Jersey, and uh, what a what a career he carved out for himself. Yeah, no, uh, he, he was he was unreal, and that takes me to we we spoke on Gumps asked you about the hat tricks. Now we mentioned kind of Dano the the Devils, and I'd have to assume really high in that hat trick list was the guarantee the game right. It was, uh, so game six, uh, it was game six Eastern Conference Finals. Um, th- we have a lot of fans, uh, people on here that watch that are uh, avid hockey fans. We got a lot that are just getting into it, and we love that. So just let me set the table real quick. Uh, you guys are down, correct me if I'm wrong here, Mess. You guys are down three games to two, game six. Before game six, you guarantee a, a win. You guys are going to force a game seven. Uh, you come out in that game, you guys are down two cob in the game. And what happens? You run off a hat trick. You fulfill the, uh, the guarantee. And I want to ask you from uh, anything you want to add to that, but also like, was anybody on the devil's side? Because I'm thinking as a player, like if the if the other team's leader came out and said that, I'd have something to say during that game. Like were the devils were those guys saying shit to you? Like were they like, you know, it ain't gonna happen or you know, trying to like how did that go down? Well, that's interesting you say that. I just saw an article that or I think Bernie Nichols just wrote a, a book who was playing on the devils there and, and he had a couple of excerpts about that and and um, I, 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 they didn't, to answer your question, they, nobody did say much on, on, on the ice about it. I'm, I'm sure it was talked about, uh, getting in the bulletin board and all that. But to be honest with you, I, I, at that point of time, I didn't really care because when I came to New York, I'd come off, 
uh, five Stanley Cups in seven years, six finals in eight years, and thought I had a, a decent understanding of, of, of what it took in order to for a team to win a Stanley Cup. When I came to New York, obviously the, the, the team wasn't quite there yet. The culture wasn't quite there yet. And so we had to kind of start to kind of bring that all, all that together. And when we got to that point in the year that we had behind us in, in 94, we basically, I think we started out four, seven and one. And then we, and then we, uh, and then we went on to win the president's trophy, you know, route the Islanders, Washington. And now we're up against the devils there. So we had an amazing year, set all kinds of records for the Rangers. I knew from past history and what I had experienced in the past that we had a good enough team in order to win the, Stan the Stanley Cup that year. We had to figure out a way how we were going to do it, especially when we got down to, to the Devils 3-2 in that series. And as you know, Rupper, in any run that you go to, there, there comes a time where the other team pushes back just as hard and becomes this kind of, this kind of tug of war or this push against the wall and whatever team blinks first you know, obviously is, is going to lose. And, and then you, that, those are the times when you look each other in the eye in the dressing room and say, is, is this it for us as a group? Have we done enough? Have we pushed hard enough? Are we going to go home? Are we going to try to find another level? Are we going to dig in and are we going to keep playing? And that was one of those seminal moments that we had as, as a team uh, that, that year that we had to, you know, ask that question. And if, lucky enough, we had enough experience in the room with guys like McTavish and Lowe and Tickenin and Anderson and guys that that had won enough that that could help the players believe that we were good enough. And then the Leeches and Richters and Kovas and Zubovs and all the talent that we have and the young guys could you know look at look at the veteran leadership and say, okay, well let's let's dig in. Let let's 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 go further. Let's go harder. We're not done yet. And that's exactly what happened. I don't look at it as a hat trick, to be honest with you. I, know, I, 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 look, I look back at that game as, as a game of two tails. One is we were completely dominated in the first half of that game. And uh, Keenan, towards uh, the end of the sec second period there, put Kovalev up with, uh, with Gravy and I. And uh, we started to kind of push back a little bit and get some offensive zone. And Broder is playing great. And, and sure enough, uh, Kovalev scores at the end of the second period to make it 2-1. After We should have been down 5 nothing if it wouldn't have been for Richter. But he stood on his head, but and he gave us a chance. So now we're thinking, wow, we're one shot away. They're thinking, we this should be 5 nothing. Now we got to try to protect the lead. So they sit back, and the tables completely turned the other way. Now we became the hunter instead of the hunted. And it was it was like the tables completely turned, and we just dominated in the third period. And, uh, you know, to be, to be honest with you, I, I don't even remember hardly scoring the goals or how the, you know, I, obviously not watching the replays, but, you know, and then the, then the empty net goals. But uh, what a, you know, what an experience uh, as, you know, and, it, this, I, and I'm saying that after, you know, all the things that we had gone through in Edmonton and all the incredible games and the tight games with the Islanders and getting our asses kicked to fighting back and then the Philly and, and then, you know, that, that series to me was maybe one of the best series I've ever played in, to be honest with you. Yeah, so so that goes, Nick. I'll, I'll get to you. Uh, I just want to ask him this real yep. quick. because So that goes on. You guys win that game, I think, 4-2. Game 7 is the uh, – is the uh, uh, the Richet, uh sorry, not the Richet, the uh, – Matteau. Yeah, Matteau. Matteau goal. The Matteau, Matteau. Uh, that, that was that big goal. 
Uh, you guys go and win the cup there. And, and, you know, since then, I mean, what a sign of leadership right there, right? Guaranteeing and then going out and doing that thing, uh, going out there and getting the hat trick and, and, and pushing that team and willing that team. But uh, I, I came across this this article. It was really interesting because there's there's a goddamn award, the Mark Messier Leadership Award. Okay, so <laughs> we, know, we know that, like, you are the bar as far as leadership in the National Hockey League. Um, he, I, I saw this article, I think it was an excerpt from your book, but it was also an article, uh, with GQ, I think in 2021. And, you know, maybe you could just expand on it. It was talking about, uh, the magical tea that you had back, I think when you're 19 years old and this situ, uh, this, this experience you had, and you really started connecting the physical and the mental as far as what would, what it takes to play in the national hockey league and maybe just to, to excel in life. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, um, you know, in, interesting. Uh, um, you know, I, I was always a, uh, a, a traveler. Uh, um, I showed up at my first training camp with uh, hair down, blonde bleached hair down to my shoulders with a, a leather suit and a uh, Suzuki 1000. Um, you know, hey, walking, uh, if, walking. If, a, if a denim suit is a Canadian tuxedo, uh, what's a leather suit? Is that oh, right? <laughs> it was all, it was all, uh, you know, as you can imagine, uh, the, the old uh, motorcycle suit. Uh, I, I, you know, it, so I was a little, always a little bit, uh, you know, um, just as curious uh, if, if that's what, and I love to travel. I love to go to third world countries. I love to uh, experience. I love to get away. I, I when I was uh, in, the, in the game itself, I, I, I married the game and I did everything I could. And by the end of it, I was I, I needed to get away and completely re reset. Um, the, the experience you're talking about uh, was, was in when I was 1980, I think it was 1980, whatever. And we went on a trip to, to Barbados and we were staying at this little hostel, uh, you know, uh, 10 bucks a night. Uh, there was four beds in a room and really cool place on the beach and it was called the boomers guest house uh, boomer was an amazing guy and uh someone had mentioned that they were going out to uh, pick some mushrooms uh and uh, i said well what, what, what's that and they said oh, yeah we're gonna go to this field and we're gonna pick these mushrooms so we so oh, that sounds fun let's go do that and uh and uh, we did and we filled our shirts up and brought them home and made this big pot of tea and mashed it all up and it got really thick and dark and we all poured ourselves a cup of coffee basically it was tea and you know a thousand times a hundred times more than we needed as, as it turns <laughs> out but uh I, I i did have that experience uh of uh of of the uh psych uh psychedelic psycho uh effects of uh of of, of mushrooms and um you know, this is what, you know, back in 1980, now we know that there's health benefits uh, for addictions and all that kind of stuff. So, but what I was really curious about going through the whole experience was that uh, first about how crazy it was for the first hour or two before it, it, we kind of settled in. And, and, uh, and then secondly, the, how uh, spiritual of, of, uh, of an experience it was and how emotional it was. And, uh, and uh, from all different ranges, uh, from music to uh, uh, to uh, to lyrics to uh, to uh, you know talking with the, my brother and our friends and past experiences and and I and and when it all was said and done, you know, a day later, or whatever, I, it, it, re, it dawned on me that that if it, it, the mind is so incredibly powerful, 
And if, and if, if, if it's that powerful, how can I, you know, I'm spending thousands of hours training my body. What if I started to think about that from a mental standpoint, I started training myself mentally uh, to be able to withstand the pressurized moments and, and, uh, and, 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 and a light bulb just came on for me. It is that, you know, there's more to this. I can be a better player if I can train my mind as much as I'm training my body. And, uh, I, and lucky for me, I had an uncle that uh, taught uh, human psychology or child psychology and human development at the university of New Hampshire for 35 years. And he was very into, uh, uh, uh spirituality and buddhism and uh, eastern philosophy and all these things so i i was getting all these touch points at the same time living in the western western uh, you know culture about you know and how we look at things and how we do things and yeah. our medicines and all that and now i'm on the other side in the off season getting all this other cultural things and and it just it just hit me and it was just something that i realized that it, that that ultimately in, in the end we're all just a ball of energy and, and we're just pulsating with all these kinds of, yeah, of, of uh, you know, you know, atoms ripping through us at any one time. And, you know, and how do you harness that? You know, how do you take that and you actually use that to your benefit when it's needed most? And, uh, and that's what I became interested in from 1980, 82 to the time I retired, because I also realized that in order to really galvanize a team, there had to be a bigger meaning and a bigger spiritual meaning to the team. There had to be something that galvanized teams. There was not just, if we were just coming there every day into a dressing room and, you know, we were there to win the Stanley cup and which is all good, but we understand, we know that there's so much more to every person and every player that's there and, and, and the journey that they themselves took to get there. So how do you tap into that and how do you motivate them? Because you realize that if you're responsible for motivating people on a day-to-day -day basis, that flame is going to run out very quickly. But if you can inspire the, the players, if you can inspire them to be their best and you understand where they're coming from and what motivates them, and you put a, put a, together a culture that is, is, is fun to come to in the mornings, they'll, they'll motivate themselves. There's always going to be that time where you got to kind of kick someone in the ass or tap someone on the butt or or give them a hug or whatever it is. But ultimately, that's that's what I became interested in. That's what my focus was year after year after year. Is every year to start that training camp, how are we going to bring this team? And it could be three players different, but three players in a team changes the dynamic incredibly. You look at, look at the Rangers or all these teams that change just two or three players, and all of a sudden the chemistry, the synergy might be just off a little bit. So how do they bring that back? What is that defining moment that brings is going to bring that team together, not what happened last year? And that became one of the reasons why I was able to play for 25 years, because if not, I probably would have quit after 10 years and went and tried to figure out something else to do that was more interesting. You know, I, I find that the uh, that all that's so interesting and it's powerful. It, it's it's unbelievable that even at that age that you can start putting these things together. I even think at that age, what I'm thinking, it's like I'm, I'm not – grasping life in that manner right so that's that's it's really cool to hear well it, mike our, just look up look up the chapel of sacred mirrors and, and i'm sitting on a balcony in my in, in hawaii where my uncle would live on the off season and he showed me these those remember those old little slides that you used to have to put in a projector yeah the yeah. chapel of sacred mirrors are, are a, a series of hand illustrated paintings about the human anatomy all the way along starting with the skeletal system then it is overlaid with the 
with the uh, with the uh, you know the muscular system to the nervous yeah. system to the lymphatic system all the way through all the way up until you get into the spiritual being of of that and the light that's in everybody all the way to that person that starts as a bag of bones and skeleton becomes a ball of energy out of a body and that's where as a player and as a team if you can get out of that whole side of the skeleton muscular you know lymphatic that inner body experience and get out of the body experience there that's where the team really can come together and that's what i loved yeah i wouldn't have gotten past the part that i read where you you thought the geckos were dragons and you were freaking out in Barbados. <laughs> that you, hey, oh, yeah. in that moment, hey, man, that's what I'm saying. Though you have these, deep, you have this deep inflection on things. When I, when those, when those geckos were fucking dragons, I would have been like, I'm out. Yeah, I can, I can picture it up in the corner here right now. There, that, that, first, that, that first couple hours was pretty intense. Best, I want to ask, and I want to kind of expand on that a little bit because that was absolutely incredible to get a peek inside your mind there and how that changed your the the way you thought and the way you uh, observed it and, and kind of attacked life there. It was very fascinating, and I want to ask about the uh, 1987 uh, Canada Cup team because that was a team uh, you mentioned earlier. You played for the Oilers. You guys had just Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer, loads of talent. Well, this Canada Cup team was kind of the same thing but you guys didn't have the benefit of playing all those regular season games together. Like, how do you get a team like that full of the best players in the world to come together to be able to do what they did in like that short period of time? Well, that's a great question. And it's, and it's real history that in, in the 84 Stanley cup, we had a real uh, problem there because we had such a rivalry going with the Islanders. I think we had seven or I don't know, five or six Oilers and three or four, basically half the team were Islanders and the Oilers. And uh, back then, you know, you didn't really fraternize with the, with the opposition too much. And here we are sitting across from our arch rivals in the dressing room. And, uh, you know, of course the late great Mike Bossy and Bob Bourne and Sutter and uh, you know, all the great players that they had on, on those teams. Um, there was some uh, tension and animosity that we did have to work through uh, early on. Um, and it was, I'm not going to say it was, uh, it, well, it was uncomfortable actually to a, to a, to a degree uh, because everybody knew the tension was there, but nobody was really talking about it. And uh, the one thing you really learn about when you play on a team is that uh, if the communication lines aren't completely open from the management to the ownership to the down to the players and any problem that arises isn't isn't fully vetted out immediately, it only is going to fester and it's going to raise its head at the most inopportune time. I mean, it's just a fact. We, 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 we just know that. And so, yeah, we had to have uh, some some intense uh, meetings uh, on that team ultimately we, we we all were professional enough and and understood the gravity of playing for your country which trumped everything and uh, and we were able to, we were able to get through it easily because of that but uh, to, to, to your point uh, you know the, the, the most important thing you can do when you come to a a, um, on, a, on, a on a team that's so loaded with talent is is just be an egoless because whatever role that you had on your team, whatever might not necessarily, but what, but you can still help the team in a defensive role or in a, in a penalty killing role. And, and, 
And if that's not good enough for you and you want more than that, and, and you know, how, how are you going to get Wayne Gretzky and Mary Lemieux off the first line power play, right? Even though you're, <laughs> you're, 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 you're used to playing that position on your own team. Well, you're not going to play that in this team, but you're a great hockey player and you're a really smart hockey player. So maybe you can do something different on the defensive side of the game. And if you're not willing to do that, then maybe this isn't the, quite the right place for you. So there's just, it just becomes a choice. It's just a real choice. And it's, for, it's like that for every team. And then the whole idea uh, of, of, of building a team and talking about the culture there is because you got to sell that idea. And, and, is, and every t- set talks about it. If you, if you know how to sell, you can get it, you can you work forever. And, re- and really what you're doing is you're selling a vision, you're selling an idea, and you're, and, you're, and you're convincing the players around you that, yeah, this isn't, you are better than this, but this is what we need from you right here, right now. Are you willing to do that? And if not, then you got to make some hard decisions. But, uh, you know, you get overqualified players playing in depth positions, your chances of you winning a Stanley Cup are pretty good. Okay, I got I to gotta follow up on that with one more because you mentioned uh, those battles with the Islanders. And, and I'm curious, you know, like, what was your favorite rivalry? Because you've been part of more than a few. The Oilers, uh, you had the Battle of Alberta, obviously, with the Flames. Yeah, all those Stanley Cup finals against the Islanders. I know when you were at the Rangers, you had some battles with the Penguins and Lemieux. And then, obviously, Philly and, and Lindros and then the Devils, as Rupert mentioned. I was just curious, what was your favorite rivalry to take part in? so hard to say. I was just saying when you were talking about that, I was just thinking about that one little mini brawl we had with New Jersey when I was with the Rangers. And uh, I think Ty Domi ended up with Scott Stevens. We know it's powerful and strong. Scott <laughs> Domi came into the dressing room after and he is so his hands were so crimped up and, and seized up from grabbing onto Stevens for so long. <laughs> he couldn't even hold his hand. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it'd be hard to uh, it'd be hard to be overtake the uh, the logistics of Edmonton and uh, Calgary back in in, in those days. Uh, and I and I say that with all due respect. Uh, you know, when I was with the Rangers, uh, uh, the Islanders were kind of on a downturn, and we played them once in the playoffs. There that year, we won the Cup in '94, and we uh, we we took it to them pretty good. It was still very intense because of the uh, the passion fan base and the the, the the logistics locations and all that and the hatred that they had for each other. So that was always intense. No matter where the teams were, it didn't matter. It was always when you went into Nassau Coliseum there, you, 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 you cinched down the bucket strap a little tighter because you knew you were in for a game. Uh, Devils started oh, yeah. to come, Devils come, started to come a little bit there and we had some great games with them. And, uh, but you know, you know, Badger Bob Johnson put together an amazing team in Calgary. That and he, the thing that he, Badger did, not only galvanized a lot of talent, and but he made them believe they could beat us. And it became a, a, a it was always a heated rivalry. But when they became really good, and had a team that could kind of match us uh, skill wise, uh, physicality, and all that, uh, those became incredible. And I, and I'll, I'll never forget to the day that I still get chills uh, thinking about we always played in calgary on the 26th and we'd have this nice cozy warm family dinner on the 25th and then and then we'd have to get up in minus 40 degrees on 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 boxing <laughs> we call it a boxing day on the 26th oh, yeah. And, and, yeah and get on this little <laughs> tiny dc3 charter and we'd all be just in there just shivering because it'd be so cold <laughs> And we know we're going into the lion's den in Calgary. And then, and of course, as we said, there's nowhere to hide. Right. So, so 
you know, somehow or another, you got to muster up the, the courage and energy to go out there and, 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 and face the consequence of what's coming. Because if you ever did, you know, take a, the shortcut out of a corner, or if you did kind of take the easy way out, that's just, that's just in the memory bank forever. Right. So you could never take the easy way out. And those were, those were, uh, those were uh, those those times where you really called upon yourself of uh, of uh, what you're made of or what kind of metal you're made of. I love that shit. I love it so much. Uh, I I got one more thing. Hey, hey, listen, we kept you way longer than I anticipated. Oh, it's all good, guys. You've been you've been incredible. It's one of my favorite uh, talks that we've had. But uh, so I got a little story, and and sometimes these guys make fun of me because I get story time going sometimes. And you're in you're in this story, so I thought this is a perfect time to bring it out. And you guys can take it home after this. So mess. Here's the situation. I told you already. Grew up an Edmonton guy. Mess Wayne. Uh, Fursey, my guys growing up as a kid, right? And I had my Oilers painter's hat. I actually had a painter's hat of Oilers. I still got it today. It was incredible. So anyways, I'm trying to make it the NHL. I'm drafted by New Jersey. I'm in training camp. It was sometimes, I can't put a finger on which training camp, but it was like either 2000, 2001, 2002, somewhere in that range right there. And I get into a preseason game. And for the people listening, like, you don't know – you're trying to get noticed, right? You're trying to get another game, another preseason game. You don't know if that's going to ever turn into a regular season. Every, every shift is important. Every shift, right? So, and I went, I was in major junior hockey, Ontario Hockey League, and from playing high school hockey in Ohio and then doing that, I learned, uh, I had to learn quick that the, the junior mentality was always get on the score sheet. And get on the score sheet meant score a goal, get an assist, take a penalty. My name's going to be on that sheet. You got to get noticed, right? And you can be creative in how you get noticed, right? So uh, that was my approach. I'm in training camp, one of my first preseason games ever. I'm at MSG. Uh, I, I remember there was, a, there was a long like TV timeout or whatever. I'm coming in to take a face-off. You come on the ice. You're taking the draw. And I haven't done shit all game to this point. And I'm like – I remember distinctly. This is like you know how when you have those moments. Now is your chance. Yeah. You know how you get that. You know how you have those moments in your life that are very quick. Like I mean, you you've had millions of oh, faceoffs. Yeah. Like oh, this yeah. is probably a span of twelve seconds, but it was like an eternity of a conversation that's going on in my head. I see you come out. You go to take. You you you're coming into the faceoff circle. I'm taking the faceoff against you. And I remember saying to myself before the shift, like I did many shifts in those types of games, get noticed, get noticed. I'm coming in and I'm looking at you and I'm like, I'm going to fucking jump on. I'm going to jump on. <laughs> and, and, and I'm thinking Jesus. to myself, and I'm thinking to myself, I can't, I, like this, I, that, that's like my hero. Like I, but I, this will get me noticed. Like everybody oh, yeah. know, everybody <laughs> will hear my name. Might not be in a good way. I might, I might not ever play a hockey game again, but they're going to notice me. And I'm coming in, and I see you, and I'm like, all right, are we doing this? And I'm, like, talking to myself. And as we're coming in, I mean, at that time, you're 40 or 41. I'm, like, 20, 21. It dawns on me, and I'm like, this guy's fucking tough as nails. Like, if he beats the wheels off me, this might be worse than anything that could possibly happen. I'm like, he very well may beat the wheels off me. So we're coming in for the draw. I'm paralyzed in indecision here, right? 
I'm looking at you in the eyes. You're looking at the referee's hands like you're supposed to on a fucking face off. <laughs> and the puck gets dropped. You win the draw. You skate away. And I'm there with nothing. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> and that was it. So from then on, I always wanted to tell you that story because I was like, I, part of me was like, I don't want to do this, but I like I want to play in the league so bad. So I'm just glad I was able to make it, and I didn't get my ass kicked by you. So thank you. Well, I'll tell you what. Thank God he did there, because as, as it turned out, it would have happened to have been a good result for me. So I appreciate that. No, no, but yeah, no, it was it was awesome just to be on that face up with you there, and incredible. So you guys take it home. Well, you know what, uh, Rupper, uh, not to uh, not to interrupt, but. Uh, I remember coming to uh, the first time into Madison Square Garden with the Oilers when I was a young guy, and 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 uh, you know sneering at Phil Esposito, and like it, like and looking at him, like I'm just going to take you apart right now. And he's going, <laughs> he's going, hey Mark, what's going on? What what are you guys doing after? And he's just just sweet talking to me, and he just completely disarmed me. Like I was going to, I want to, I want to rip your, I want to rip your head off, and you're just sweet talking to me. What's going on? <laughs> So good, so good. Oh, uh, Gumpy, got anything? Uh, Mark, you guys beat the Canucks in the Stanley Cup. Uh, I live in Victoria, BC. Always watch Pavel Bure growing up. How fucking fast was he in real life, Moose? Amazing. He was so dynamic. It was. Uh, you, you, you talk about. Well, there's guys that uh, can play at a different speed. We talked about Makar early on that he did. Would, if he took the number off him, he, he would stand out, right? There's guys that just stand out without the name, without the number, and just because of the way they skate. Burry was one of those guys. And how many players since Guy Lafleur, you know, Connor McDavid, uh, you know, Paul Coffey in a way that he would make the rushes and all that, mm-hmm. that could bring the fans out of their seats like Pavel Burry. He was electrifying incredibly talented and he was so he was just so gifted of, of a player um you know when i got to vancouver there i knew he was great because of the years i played against him and then of course the finals in in 94 but when i got to new york wow what a hockey player unfortunately is what you know it was kind of his knees both his knees were were horrible by then and he was kind of on the downturn but uh what a what an amazing hockey player and you think about that vancouver team you know they you know, they got great cold ending by McLean. They got, uh, they had a big defense, you know, Pat Quinn always loved, you know, really big teams and strong teams. And they had a lot of depth, but you know, he was the guy, him and Linden were the, were the guys uh, that uh, really propelled that team into those finals that year. And damn near beat us uh, in that, <laughs> uh, in that seven game series. Yeah. Uh, Mark, thank you so much, man. You, you stayed yeah. on here for an hour with us. Just, just telling some incredible stories, some really insightful stuff. Uh, and we can't thank you enough, man. We really appreciate you yeah. taking the time. Peace with you guys. All the best to you. Happy holidays. And uh, great talking to you, Rupper. Anything I can do, as you know, always help out. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, man. appreciate you. Take care, guys. Move. What an Move. absolute Move. legend. Lads, dude. Wow. I, dude. I can listen to that. I never heard any time. of that shit, man. I've never really heard him like do any interviews or anything. No, no I'd say he's uh he's he's incredible, man. He he's he, he it doesn't take long to realize why there's the the Mark Messier leadership award, right? Like just the way that he speaks, just even like listen, man, we're having fun with the story with him in Barbados. Like, but like can you imagine? I guess that's my point. It 
19 years old, 20 years old, I'm not piecing together life, right? Like if you're, it, you know, whether it's whatever you're getting involved in at the time, you're acting like an idiot. You're doing it for idiot purposes, right? You're not doing it and then being yeah. like, all right, man, this is how life works. This is how I'm putting shit together. I mean, that's, that's incredible, but he's, he's a special one. That's for sure. And, uh, uh, yeah, man, I love seeing him on ESPN and, and having him involved in the game because he's one of the good guys, you know? It is, you mentioned that right off the hop. It is massive to have him back in the game, like talking about the game, being an ambassador for the game. And I will say this, like, yeah, I tried a little bit of that magical tea myself, and I had an experience, and it was not like messes. <laughs> I did not come out on the other I, side I, with that life-changing experience like he had. That's that's incredible. No, I don't – I don't – I don't – I'm not trying to be funny when I said, cause it, it said that he, he saw all of the, the lizards in Barbados and they were bonafide dragons in his mind. <laughs> Fuck that shit. I'm not messing with any of that shit. Like ever. Like I, I wouldn't be able to do it. Dude, I'd freak out. I'd freak out like that. That to me doesn't sound like fun at all. <laughs> well, it's like we, we, we have a lot of jokes like Aaron, Aaron Rogers comes on patio and he talks about the ayahuasca. Uh, yeah. But, that, and- but that's being supervised. Right. If it's a supervised situation, maybe it's different. But if it's like, if you're just going rogue in a third yeah. world country, yeah. no way. <laughs> they just mixing it up, picked it in the fucking in the fucking bushes, dude. That's dude, he said it, the, the article said he took his shirt off, took his shirt off, took his shirt off, filled it up with shrooms, went back, mashed it, teed it, drank it, boom. Six Stanley Cups later, Studio Fifty Four, living life. What the fuck? Like, what a ride that guy had. Listen to him, man. They must have fucking, they Tore must have fucking down. lit it up and on White Ave and Edmonton. Boy. You've been to Edmonton, you know White Ave. Those boys were fucking cooking. <laughs> and that's what's crazy because now it's like nowadays, Rover. We talk about this all the time, where it's like, all right, everybody go out. You get maybe you got to get dinner with the guys, but then everyone's going home. You get your protein shakes, maybe you get a workout in. Everyone's going to sleep. Like, there's something to that uh, camaraderie building. And Pat always says it like a team comes around and comes together more over a keg than they do over kale. And it's kind of a, a cliche phrase, but it's real. Like a lot of guys find uh, solace in one another in those experiences, like going out with the buddies, having a couple beers. And it sounds like mess in those Oilers in the early days. They're like really, really right. found it through yeah. that. And yeah. uh, you'll, it, I understand why it can't happen so much at camera phones and all this, yeah, and, yeah. but uh, man, it's is, like you though, Nick. They were winning, right? Yes. If yeah. you're winning, if you're winning, nothing else matters. Exactly. But that's like everyone looks at it as a detriment. It's like, well, these guys made it work, and they you, here you are, 20, 30, 40 years later, telling stories about how successful you were because of that. It's it's eye opening. It's. Well, I mean, we could dissect that conversation for hours. That was unbelievable. When you watch him on TV, I don't know if you get that side of him. That was really cool for him to yeah, open up like that with us and, and, and chat with fucking Chelly tequila in him, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Love it. Did you uh, do you remember the Messier Lays commercials, Rupper? Were those only in Canada? I don't remember those. Which I one told I Gumpy. Oh, he's mentioned fuck, this earlier dude. at Hammer Down, and I've seen people talk about these commercials. We should ask him about this. We've seen they some were people talk about so these commercials. Much, dude. I think they Bet were only on Canada. Just one. 
Bet you can't eat just one. It was the moose. It was moose on the ice, and he's fucking having one chip, dude. It aired. It was my whole childhood, dog. Hey, Gump. Speaking of can't eat just one, I got something for you. Okay. Candy cane kisses. Uh, where's the naughty or nice cashew butter? Shout out to our sponsor, American Dream Nut Butter. You can find this stuff in the link in the description of this YouTube live right now. Just go down there and click the link. You can save 10%. This is, we got some holiday flavors. Candy cane kisses are up right. I know this is right up your alley. It looks like we got some peppermint, uh, peppermint bark and some Oreos, uh, peanut butter. And we got naughty or nice cashew butter. They've also got almond butter. Uh, it's high protein, low carb, low sugar, handcrafted. Uh, shout out to our friends. My fiance obviously got a whole nother box giant shipment that's why we got more flavor there's like 10 more flavors in the pantry out in the kitchen uh, i can't wait to try it shout out to american dream nut butter yes shout out indeed i have 12 my girlfriend and i counted the other 12 uh, of them i'll take a picture to send them, you guys a mountain of them and i'm starting like crack i cracked open like four my uh my favorite i don't know where they're coming from i get these boxes that just say rupper on it it doesn't even say mike rubber it says rupper i'm like so i don't know if it's coming from that cfo phil Phil, or if it's coming direct from american but regardless keep them coming because they're incredible uh that what was the one that the yabba dabba delicious incredible incredible i just walk by walk by it's like it's good because i'm like a huge sweet tooth guy like i like my snacks I'm trying to phase them back, but I can go by spoonful that bang done. It's like a whole dessert, but it's not, it's not bad for me. It's not like I'm eating the bad dessert, right? It's so good. It's massive. If you got a sweet tooth and you're trying to keep things in line, especially around the holidays here, Gump knows what I'm talking about. Get a little, get a little off the rails here. He's celebrating Christmas and boxing day as Moose mentioned. I love the boxing day shout out. Can't get out of the fucking house right now. Christ. Yeah, Rupper, have you heard this? Gumps is snowed in with 30 centimeters of snow on the ground. So wait, hold on a second. So I heard um on on Pat's show on on the big show today, they said you had they they whatever the number was, was it 30? They said 30, and I'm like, whoa shit. And then they're like centimeters. I'm like, that's fucking nothing. Like, what do you mean? Like, dude, are you shitting me, Rupper? Centimeters fuck is over my car, dude. I can't see my car. Centimeters? He throws this shit out there like we're supposed to know what it means. He's like, I yeah, mean, it's uh, I just minus, feel like minus twelve degrees Celsius. Dude, wow, I lived, cold. I lived in oh fucking God, Indianapolis for two fucking years, and I couldn't switch. I tried. <laughs> you tried if to I did it, it if I did it, if any time I did an Instagram story, if it was Celsius, I got it from fucking you guys. If it was Fahrenheit, I had every one of my boys up my ass. <laughs> oh, you fucking Fahrenheit! That's how it is. I know. That's how it is. I don't know what I am. I'm not going to put the fucking temperature anymore. We'll be on. We'll be on a plane <laughs> traveling uh, during the season, and the guys are like. Like, do you bring your sunglasses? Like, dude, it's gonna be it's gonna be twenty two. Like, the fuck does that mean? <laughs> gonna be twenty two? Do you bring your sunglasses? Like, I don't. I'm sorry, I don't know what that means. It's gonna be twenty two, man. <laughs> twenty two. It's incredible. If you're above twenties, you're sitting good in the old Celsius. He used right? to say that. I'm like, what? Is, it's fucking no, minus no twelve. Twenties no minus good. twelve right here, right now. And, and this is go. this is. This is a stupid thing to say because I know the rest of the world operates off the same scale. But why, like us, it's funny because you speak to Americans and 
it'll be we think that everybody else has it wrong. We are literally the only country that yep. goes on we metric. Change. Yeah, no, it's it's ridiculous. You'll figure all it out I know, one of these days. All but. I know is all I know is zero Celsius is thirty-two Fahrenheit. That's that's the one thing I do know. What is it? Thirty? Mm-hmm. Zero Celsius is zero thirty-two. Is 32 yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolute zero. It's it's wild. Uh, <laughs> All right, like, listen, we've lived in the past all night. That was an incredible conversation with Mark Messier. We can't thank him enough. One of the greatest players in NHL history, arguably the greatest captain in NHL history. Um, what an absolute living legend. Uh, I want to – sorry, Walt. Keep it down, Big Walt's Walt. freaking out. Uh, I want to jump back into present day for a little bit real quick and just uh, talk a little bit about what's been going on throughout the league this week. Uh, I, I saw something uh, last night. Uh, Gump sent it into our group chat, and I thought it was fucking hilarious. I laughed pretty hard, but apparently some people got really upset about it. Uh, Michael Bunting of the Leafs was basically uh, thrown out of the club, escorted <laughs> not, off the ice. Not Leafs the fans ice, triggered again. By a <laughs> uh, Rupper, I had no problem with it. I laughed my ass off. I thought it was funny. I thought it was what a linesman is supposed to do if they're trying to get a player off the ice for to get technical an infraction or a penalty or misconduct or it's the end of the period and they're not going to put them in the box. Like, did you have any issue with this whatsoever? If you did, I'd love to hear your take on this situation or if you've ever been in a situation like that. Oh yeah. I mean, I've been Rapper tried to fucking Rupper was going to fight it. Fucking what's his name? Like people wanted this official <laughs> fine. They wanted him so, suspended. So here's the thing that people, people have to understand. Like, di- I've been in that position. I've been Michael Bunting. I've, I've been thrown down like horse collared out of a pile, thrown down hard. Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, what are you doing? You know, like, and I think the part that's a struggle is like, you're going to come and do, I can't touch you. No, I cannot touch. I cannot literally touch you. Although at times they do give you some leeway because there's times where I'll get grabbed and I don't know when I swing my arm, like not a punch, but like get off me. Yeah. And there's a referee there. And, um, uh, there's a lot of adrenaline going. And so he, here's what I think happened. And I might be wrong. Uh, Michael Bunting would be the one to ask on this. I didn't love it because it's I've been there. And it's like, dude, chill out. What, the, what, what, are, you th- what are you you're throwing me off? And Michael Bunting wasn't really putting up a fight. He was no. kind of looking through the ref and, or the linesman and keeps yelling at the crowd. But mm-hmm. there's adrenaline going. We see guys lose uh, – they're cool and, and do stupid things, get suspended, uh, all different things. There's a drama with these referees too, right? They're in this situation. They're trying to defuse it. So, uh, I, you know, I, I think in a general situation when I've been in it like this, the next time that linesman has that, either it's the same night or later on, you go up and you say, hey, Bunts, sorry, bro. Like I, that got away from me, man. I, I, I apologize. That's it's the heat of the moment. You understand that. that what happens on the ice a lot of times? I mean, you gotta, you know, some of those things are. That, that's why, to be to be frank, some of the stuff like we get in the guys in between the boxes, guys and women in between the boxes. The I announcers, think, the commentators. Yeah, the commentators. Thank you. I think it's important to give a different angle, but that's a privilege to be down there, and you can't say everything that's happening there and and, no. and and most don't because it's a heat of the moment situation you still got to be have control of your tongue in situations uh, as sure. a player but like 
they, there's things that happen on that ice and that happen on the field or court or wh wherever you play in, in professional sports. Like, shit happens and, and adrenaline's going and emotions are going. I, I think that's what it is with the linesman. I don't think this guy should be disciplined. Just, hey, you know, next time just kind of, you know, it got away from me a little bit there. I think that's the best way to explain it. Gumps, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, whatever Rupper's saying, I agree with. He's been on the fucking ice. I, I can't even fucking stop, Chris. I didn't know if you was going to pile on Michael Bunting in the Leafs there. Uh, uh, i got no problem with it. What, good what to see, good to see the Leafs. He got that stick, though. Like He was gushed pretty good, Bunting, right? That was Sergachev? It was Sergachev, yeah. Yeah, so. Um, I, another thing I wanted to chat about was Kale McCarr. Uh, getting wasn't wasn't quite hooked, but maybe interfered with trying to bring the puck up off the trip. ice. They were calling a trip, right? Is that what they were calling? They were calling a trip, and yeah. uh, the referee's arm goes up for a delayed penalty, and Kale goes down, gets up, looks back at the ref, and basically like shakes it off, like is like, hey, no, like I kind of just lost an edge and fell. I guess is I'm assuming what he was saying. Uh, you watch it back though, like. He was definitely interfered with. I don't know if it was worthy to call a penalty or not, but there was definitely right. contact. Who was it? Barzell? Was it Barzell? It was an Islanders player. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, sure enough, the ref went out there and turned the mic on, and there's no penalty. Yeah. There's no I've, calling you. I, you guys I, seen that before? I've never I, seen that. No, I thought I had, never. and then I remember. There's no way. It's I remember before? that last year Ovechkin did a similar thing where he was hauled down on a play. Uh, and he kind of did something similar where he basically like hinted it to, to the ref, like motion to the ref, like, no, Hey, like, no. And they didn't call it. And so I'm like thinking like, what are we doing? Yeah. Rupper, if you saw a teammate do that, what are you doing? What's going through your right. mind? Like, first off, there's other, the, it never happens the other way. I've, I've skated up to referees, like yes. cut open blood running on my face. He fucking high stuck me right in the face. No, he didn't. Um, what? <laughs> what do you mean? No, he didn't. So it's yeah. never going to go the other way, right? So, um, no, I mean it's kill McCarr. So uh, you're going to tease him. I'm going to tease the shit out of him after afterwards, right? Uh, he'll get made fun of in, in the games with the opponent, especially if you he lose. Won't. If you win, yes, it's no big deal. We're all going to laugh about it. And that's the other part. Zero zero game. You guys are getting handed a penalty, and you say no. I, I've never seen it. I, I I don't think he'll probably do it again. I don't think we'll see a bunch of guys doing it. If anything, I think he's built some equity now where he might get some calls in his favor, marginal calls that can go. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Was <laughs> there an earthquake, Ruffer? Yeah. Look at this. Oh, oh there you go. You look like you just fell out of a fucking roller coaster. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, like he, um, I don't know, man, it's, you're going to, he's not going to continue to do it. He'll get some equity with these referees and get some calls or marginal calls will go in his favor. I, I think, but like, I'll say this side of it. it to me, it's like equivalent to if I'm an opponent, it's like, it's like a kid that would give the teacher an apple. Like, dude. Like, come on, like, come on, you know what I'm saying? Like, get the fuck out of here, you know what I mean? Like, so, so as a opponent or someone that's playing against Kale McCarr, he's going to get chirped, and teammates will probably give him a hard time. I, I like the fact that he's just he's he's in, he's in the game, man. It's just yeah, a reactionary yeah. thing. He ain't thinking about it. 
he never thought of doing that probably ever again. He probably never will think of doing it again. In that moment, he went down. So I was like, no, no, I was good. Like, let's keep going. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so th there's that part. But the <clears throat> the part I do like, and for anybody that's got kids playing hockey or been around youth hockey, I love the fact that we added some – there's some uh, – some standard respecting the game sportsmanship. If anything can come out of this, it's a positive. It's the kids watch it and they're like, wow, that guy, that guy like kind of told the truth. I mean, we see guys diving. We see players turn away from hits to draw a penalty. Like those are all bogus, dumb things. We don't, I don't like seeing that stuff. Right. This is one that's like, that's what we want. I don't think we're going to see it consistently, but like for kids watching, it's like, that guy did the right thing. Like he was honest in that situation when it wasn't going to benefit him. So if it does one thing like that with youth hockey and everyone's watching Kale McCarr, I kind of like that part about it. Okay. Yeah, it Look says a lot about your confidence in yourself and your team too. Yeah. You're zero, zero. And saying, ah, it wasn't a fucking penalty. We'll fucking get it anyways. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there is a, there is a positive yeah. note there for sure. Thinking about the kids. Good for you, Rupper. Uh, and then he, he did. Uh, hold on, uh, sure, just, just to be clear. I would never oh, fucking do that. Yeah, I would no never. I would, would I. I would have been like, he yeah. pulled me down. He, pulled yeah. me down. he stuck no. me too. Anyway. He did uh, uh, He did apologize to his teammates and said he's not going to do it again. But he, he basically insinuated that he had a guilty conscience. And if he didn't do it, he, he it would have been hard on himself. So I, I kind of see both sides of that. But, yeah, you can't – to me – you got to take every edge you can get out there. You can't be yeah. giving away power plays. They all uh, even out. They all Yeah, out. true, true. Uh, two more things I want to touch on real quick. Uh, Jacob Truba, <clears throat> Rangers and Pens last night. That was a fantastic game, I thought. It might have been was, the best game I've watched all year. It was a really good game. That a lot of back and forth. good hockey. Uh, felt playoff atmosphere. Yeah, good goaltending. <clears throat> Besides the start. Oh, no. Oh, he froze. Again, he, he froze because he knew he was lying. Because well, a couple games ago, <laughs> I freeze again. Sorry. Yeah, what we talk about with Trubo was uh, him scoring a goal against Chicago after laying that big hit earlier in the season. Now he goes and scores a goal against Chicago, and he tells Athanasiu like he mouths to him, and the the mic picks up a little bit. He's like, "Hey, you want the puck? You can go dig it out of that, dude. It's yours. You can keep I the souvenir." I love that stuff. I love that stuff, dude. Right? Like, you know, Anthony Sears is going to call him out in the media. He's going to say his, his stuff. And yeah, what did he say? He makes $9 million a year and he doesn't, doesn't have a goal. Doesn't yeah. have a goal. He doesn't do anything out there. You know, Trubas has been having a rough year. He had that in that same game against Chicago. That's when Truba threw his helmet, calling out the team. But also, I think in turn, kind of, you know, when you call out your team, it puts you on the clock, too. And he's been much better since then. Uh, he had an empty net goal the game before, so that got his first one of the year. This got his second one. And I love that Athens was on the ice right there and just jawing him. You know, you want the puck? Yeah, I'll give you the puck. You want it? You want it? And, like, Panarin's sitting there smiling like this. Like, I, I, I like that kind of stuff, the bantering yeah. back and forth. And if you're going to go if you're gonna go to the media and say things, um, then I, I like when players come back and call you on it. I agree 100%. Uh, and then, oh, fuck. Uh, the, other, the other thing I wanted to chat about was uh, – I'm scrolling through my notes here. Sorry, boys. Uh, torts. What's going on, Rupper? What's going on with Torts? Oh, no. He yeah. benches healthy – I 
healthy scratch for Kevin Hayes, the leading point guard, or the best player on the team in Philadelphia. What's that about? You've played for Torts. What what's the mentality? Listen, we all know the Flyers are not going to win anything this year. They're at this point, it's it's trying to build a culture yeah. and trying to be competitive. And maybe there's something behind the scenes that we're not privy to that led to this. But from all accounts, it kind of seemed like it was out of the blue. what's going on there? Can you give us a little insight into what you think that's all about? So we're all in agreement. This team's not going to make the playoffs, right? Yes. Unless they wear the pants every game. The pants were a good start. I feel like if they wear the pants in every game, that should automatically give them a berth in the playoffs (laughs) is what what should happen. But they're not doing that. So, uh, no, they aren't going to make the playoffs. And if push came to shove and you asked Torts, you know, he's never going to admit that to me. Torts knows this is not a playoff team. Remember when they were actually playing pretty well at the beginning yeah. of the year? He goes, he's like, we're not even close, dude. <laughs> we're not close to doing anything right now. So Torts always plays, and I've said it on here a bunch of times, plays those mind games, always keeps you down, right? Like he wants to keep you level-headed. He wants to push the envelope and keep pushing it. So if you're measuring a team, basically we usually measure teams on wins, yeah. right? I mean, you can measure your team on how a game is even if you lose. They're going to lose a lot of fucking games, man. Like, they're, they're not good. Like, they, they're working hard. It's much, they're working much harder than they did in, in last year. They're actually winning more games than I thought that they, they would win this year, especially with all the guys out of the lineup long-term that they have. So what other things does he have here? Like, it, I don't know if Kevin Hayes deserved to be scratched. Uh, probably didn't, you know. Uh, it, but Torts – has to push the envelope and let them. So if this team loses games, how does he get across to them? Or even if they win a few, how does he get across that that's still not good enough? You know what I mean? Well, he, he's got to verbally do it. He's got to he's got to send messages. This is one of his messages. He's going to grab that. That guy, Kevin Hayes, is one of the most, I guarantee you, he's one of the most liked guys inside that locker room. He's been every place he's been, every place he's played. Yeah. So, Get everybody's attention. Sit that guy. He's our leading point getter. It's going to get everybody's attention. If, you, if that guy can get set, uh, my mouth guard's going in. I'm making sure I'm, I'm, I'm you know, minding my P, uh, P's and Q's. You know what I mean? Like I, that. That's the way you do it. I, you don't have to like it. It, it might not work. I don't. You, you, you towards, here, here's the kicker, though. If you got to do it to the right guys. Yes. And Torts has to have a good enough feel with Hazy. And I love that Hazy was like. I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it. He didn't do it in a way that was disrespectful. He goes, he's the coach. He can make his decision. I don't agree with it. I didn't deserve that. That's all good. I think uh, the, the fact that, like, Torts, by doing it to Hayes, you're expecting him to respond the right way. Yeah. If he doesn't respond the right way, this could backfire on John Tortorella. And now the locker room can already start phasing out listening to Torts, which I don't think is going to happen right now. Torts has been doing this for years, man. I just think people have a, don't like it because this is kind of like he does it differently. He does things in a way that's aggravating. I don't know if I agree with it. I probably don't agree with it, but I also understand that he's only got so many bullets in the chamber. Like he's he he's got ice time, he's got playing time. That's all he has. You yeah. know, uh, I I don't agree with it either, but I enjoy and appreciate your interpretation of it. And that's probably what he's thinking. So like, I, I I guess I understand where he's coming from. And 
when you're in that situation, you got to do everything you can, I suppose. And I respect that, that he's still trying to scratch and claw wins out. Well, what happens? Well, what happens if Kevin Hayes says he, what happens if Kevin Hayes checks out? He's still under contract for a while. Now you're not, now you're not getting his production torts. That just blew up in your face. Yeah, I I think you got the benefit of the doubt there because it's hockey and and hockey players, you could probably speak better to this, but like, I don't think you guys are conditioned to do that. I think you guys are, no matter what, you put the team first and you try and do the right thing. And, uh, you know, maybe if they were making more, maybe if the revenue was more and they were making more money and, and and they wanted to be bigger dicks about it, they would do something like that. But I assume Hazy's just going to go back in there and do what he's always done and play hockey and go about it and do things the right way. So yeah. did he deserve it? No. But can the team benefit from it? Sure, they can. Will they? I don't know because it's the reality of the situation. They're just not that good. The talent is lacking. But – I appreciate you explaining that in a way that like I can at least well, understand the logic. I, I think you guys would all agree. Like you it's a slippery slope. You yes, gotta have yeah. a good feel because it can turn on you. He could and, like he could just say, fuck you, trade me then. Like that's something that could happen. Yeah. Yeah. If he wanted to, you know, like that is a possibility. Like it it yeah. could work out, it could not. I mean, but towards nodes, this is what he's done his whole career. And yeah. for the most part, it's worked it's, out except for in Vancouver. I would say it was the only place that didn't work. Yeah, Vancouver's the only place. It's a good point. Vancouver's the only place where it didn't work out. And and the thing with Torts, too, it's everyone <laughs> tried he, to go in the other locker room and yeah, who knows what he was scheming, but that was the fucking fight anybody best, or what? Dude. He tried to go yeah, out. The, the, media, the media here have talked about that for a month straight, dude. It was all awesome. That was so good. So good. Uh so but but they you know, like Torts has he has to change the culture, and that's his only job. He doesn't yeah. honestly he doesn't care about winning right now. Winning is secondary in Philadelphia. It's changing yeah. the culture, and and he's weeding out that stuff. I, I don't know where it's going to go, but I mean, he's. I expect this team to respond. You know, because there's jobs at stake, and and that's what it comes down to, really. Uh, Rupper, I know we're, we'll do another show before then, but you're heading up to, uh, the winter classic should be a hell of a time. You're going to be covering the game, uh, up there in Fenway pens and Bruins penguins, obviously after that seven game losing streak, they've obviously gone on to put together a winning streak. And now they've, they played pretty well lately. The Bruins best team record wise in the league, uh, unbelievable streak at home. Uh, what do you think? You think this one will live up to the hype? Do you think – I don't want to say it'll be a dud because obviously you never want that. You never expect that. You, you hope it's not like that. But you think we'll see some fireworks on, on January 2nd out there? I think it's going to be awesome. And uh, a lot of times when they pick these teams in these games, uh, there's they pick them so far in advance, you don't know what the team's going to be like. There's been right. years where a team's really struggling or kind of a dud and haven't worked out. And th- this is – the best team in the NHL, and I think what is opening the eyes to a lot of people, like this potentially could be the cream of the crop, um, the next team in Eastern Conference. Like the Penguins, I think, are that good. Like I, I think that they're as they're not to Boston's level up to this point, 
but it doesn't matter right now. It matters in a few months. And staying healthy, I, I think this Penguins team has just as much of a chance as anybody else in the Eastern Conference. So I love it because they're both playing great. And that's what I want to see. I want to see two powerhouse teams, for the most part, being all the way healthy. Let's slug it out. I can't wait to see it. Okay. Uh, Gumpy, any final thoughts before we sail off into the night here in a beautiful holiday weekend to celebrate the miracle of Christmas and Ooh, Boxing Day. Boxing Day. I love Moose getting Boxing Day in there. Uh, Rupper, <laughs> it has been talked about for weeks now. What the fuck are the Coovers going to do? Uh, dude, I have no idea. I, um, I don't know what the right answer is either. That's my thing. Like Usually with something like this, I'll be like, okay, I think this is what they should do. I don't know. Like I think the mistakes were made in the offseason, and now that's how you got to where you are now. I... See, the hard part is they're not out of it. Like, it almost be easier. They're right there. It would almost be easier if they stunk just a little bit more, you know? Yeah. And so here's what you got. This Bo Horvat situation stinks because they kind of made that decision already. They kind of made that decision when they signed JT Miller. Like, that JT Miller contract kind of – I think maybe you thought you could possibly get Bo at a decent mark, and then you see what he's doing this year. Uh, he's going to have to get moved. And then it's like, I don't know, I'm hearing these things now. It's like, are they just going to tear this down and do a full rebuild? What? You've you got, like, There's so you've many got some guys. talent in there. Dude, you got some talent in there that you, and some nasty contracts too. But I don't know, man. I, honestly, I wish I had an answer for you, Gumps. I have no idea. Where this organization goes, Bruce, I think Bruce they're just is, trying to. Bruce has had enough too. I think they're just hoping, or they're hoping that these next few weeks will will steer them where to go. If they if they get on a heater, then they're probably stay the course. If they stay the way they are now, win one, lose one, you know, win a couple, lose a couple, they are they, gonna have to sell this and 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 kind of tear it down. I think. I think I've you gotta never, work, never work seen the phones team. and uh, yeah. even if it's a minor deal, just make a trade. Not for the sake of making a trade, but to shake things yeah. up a little bit and kind of send a jolt through the locker room and just let the boys know, like, hey, like, we think you can do this. We just need to see it. I've yeah. never seen a team that, that just – I know teams have duds, but game to game, you have no fucking clue, dude. They lost 5-1 to the Blues the other night. Could have been 10. Could have been ten, but then, but then they'll have a game. They have they oh, have a game where they out. look like world beaters. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's, it's electric to watch. It's electric to watch. <laughs> I haven't missed a game in weeks. <laughs> hey, you know what you need to check. We got we we got to see what their uh, the numbers as far as the best betting teams um, in the in the NHL this year. I wonder where they're coming up. Like you know, I wonder how they're 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 faring because they're one so of the top over teams. I'm yeah, sure. listen, Gumpy's gonna have some time on his hands. He's buried, he snowed in the house, buried in thirty centimeters. So he does it for Hammerdown. I, I'm sure he'll put something together on on the Hammerdown Twitter account about NHL uh, trends here coming up over the holiday break. Yeah. He, he's very good at that type of stuff. So especially when it comes to the Cougars, because they're one of his teams. Rupper, you know, he only bets on a few teams. He, like, I go through every day. I go on Hammerdown, and I I rip through the entire slate. I don't pick them all, but I, I at least give some yeah. information on But Gumpy only has a few teams that he – Tampa. Tampa. I've eased Cougars, off. I've eased Cougars, off. 
Panthers well, were one. Panthers are fucking us again tonight. Yep. Losing to the devil. How do you lose to the devils on a back-to-back? Bit of a schneid, Rups. You were right. Things are coming back down to earth a little bit. Oh yeah, need Texas hockey. If Texas hockey, I think if they beat the Coilers tonight, I think that's a big win, Rupper. Yeah, Edmonton's been struggling too. That's a huge win. Yeah. This year. Uh and uh, the rumor mill out there, Gumps. We'll leave it. We'll leave it with this: is oh. that Dallas? If they keep trending in the same direction they've been uh. so far this year. They might swing for the fences here. Come trade uh, There's some rumors. Patty, Patty King. There, there's some rumors that they're kicking the tires on some big, big fish. So we'll love <laughs> that. I, love I that. knew you had it in you, Pete. Never doubted you. On that note, we appreciate everybody for rocking with us tonight. Uh, Rupper, incredible job getting the legend Mark Messier on the show. Mm. Thank you to Moose, Mark Messier, one of the best captains, one of the best players of all time for joining us. Uh, Shout out to everybody in the chat for rocking with us. We appreciate you so much. Be a friend, tell a friend. Tell them to watch the show. Tell them to subscribe to YouTube. We're trying to grow this thing. We want to have a big second half of the season and and ride into the playoffs. Uh, We want to just bullshit with you guys. Uh, every Wednesday night and have a great time enjoying a couple cocktails and talking hockey. Gumpy will be singing. Rupp will be giving you the excellent takes, and I'll be here just trying to steer the ship as best I can. Thank you, everybody, and that's Hockey Talk. Stick tops.